0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Multisite Masters podcast. This is the podcast series that explores the art of leading and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the hospitality and retail sectors. So my name is Lee Sheldon and I'll be your host for today's episode. I'm also co-founder of the MMU Training and Development Consultancy, in which we're dedicated to helping managers achieve consistent operational excellence, leading to sustained, superior performance. And so on to today's episode and today's episode of Multi-Site Masters I feel a little bit like I'm doing full circle and the reason I say that is our guest today was one of the first leading academic and commentators that I came across who has done a tremendous amount of research and has a tremendous amount of insight into the hospitality and restaurant organization. I refer of course to Professor Chris Muller, who's currently the Professor of the Practice of Hospitality at Boston University, but also has held roles at Rosen College and initially in Cornell in the US as well. So Chris, I know you're suffering a little bit from a, a, a laryngitis, so hopefully you we can hear you today. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great, thanks, Lee. Good, well, uh, I expect we'll have a few coughs along the way, but that's absolutely fine. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for, for joining Multisite Masters today. Just in case people aren't aware of your background, Chris, could you perhaps give us a a potted career history uh, about who you are and what you've done? Perfectly. I um,
1: uh, I like to say I'm just coming up on my fiftieth year in the restaurant business. I started when I was 15, uh, working as a soda jerk and ice cream packer at a a Carvel ice cream store, and then over the last, I have been involved in. multiple uh, restaurant operations. I've owned my own restaurants, I've uh, worked for other people, I was in the the wholesale wine industry here in Boston, Uh, and I've had the good fortune to be, for the last 20 years or so, uh, pretty much uh, focused on the European uh, restaurant business. Uh, I'm one of the founders of the um, European Food Service Summit in Zurich. excuse me, which is every year in in September. I've had a good chance to run a couple of, uh, I don't know, four or five masterclasses for Propel in London. Uh, But I've traveled uh, extensively. I think I've been on on every continent talking about restaurants. So it's been a good life.
0: And I think one thing I remember when I first met you, Chris, is you described some of your practical um, industrial Mm -hmm. industrial experience as successful failures. Would you like to just explain what you meant
1: yeah a very successful failure unfortunately twice i've had restaurants that were <laughs> beloved by the customers uh but not by my bankers um, i I describe it as um uh, I had more customers than I could afford and um i uh, I tend to be a front door kind of guy, so get you know give me every customer you can you can find um, sometimes my partners have not been as good at protecting the back door and so um uh we've <laughs> we've closed two restaurants with with people actually waiting to get
0: in because we had all cash flow problems. But they were beloved. So, yes, very successful failures. Well, that, that's great. And for me, that just proves the point that you've worked in the industry. Um, yes, your academic insights are fantastic, but we also know that it's built upon that credibility of being involved. So let's get to the real meat of our conversation today. We thought it would be really interesting to understand... From a U.S. market perspective, we often find, to be frank, some of the trends start to wash over our way 12 to 18 months. Of course, stuff is going back the other way, too. But what are some of the things that we are seeing in the U.S. or you are seeing that we might expect to see here anytime soon over the next 12 months? What are some of the key themes that you are seeing?
1: Well, actually, I think the U.S. has been a little bit uh, stuck uh, in many ways. Ah, uh, there's far, you know, from my point of view, there's uh, <clears throat> excuse me again. There's been far more innovation actually in London uh, from the a sort of groundswell of new concepts. We're starting to see a, a flushing out of some some of the older things, uh, looking to to rejuvenate. Um, but like every mature market, we sort of got fat and happy here. I think what we're seeing a lot of is. Um, Uh, a movement towards uh, salad uh, concepts, things like clover, be good, Um, also service components where you you mix and match things with a healthier focus, dig in, a couple of those kinds of places. Um, We've sort of seen the end of the expansion of the better burger business, just like you have in the UK. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we're starting to see uh, a real growth, in uh, this year we're talking about um, a focus on, on expanding the Asian cuisine uh, choices. So we started with Chinese, then we went to Japanese. Uh, we've been doing a little bit of Thai, uh, not much as far as Korean. We're seeing some Filipino, a uh, little bit more in Vietnamese kinds of things. So we're seeing a uh, more focus on the natural high flavor components of, of um of a broader Asian uh, mix, and I think that's going to start to really pop in the next uh, twelve to eighteen months
0: and one of the terms that I, I heard you talking about back in September when you were in the u k you shared with us the idea of the grocerant now that yeah. is a term that I think many people may not be familiar with, so perhaps you could ex- explain a little bit more about what a grocerant is
1: yeah actually traditionally if you think of um of a market or grocery. Uh, you know, a Tesco or somebody like that, or, uh, Sainsbury's. Um, <clears throat> what you basically had was was a uh, a business model built on the idea that the consumer had a high production knowledge. They knew how to take raw goods and produce a finished meal. Uh, the restaurant side has traditionally required c- uh, consumers to have a high connoisseurship uh, mindset. They have to know what finished goods look like in order to buy them. Uh, and so if they're not familiar with uh, you know, even something like sushi, um, they wouldn't buy it. But as the connoisseurship side has expanded, especially quite rapidly over the last 10 or 15 years, it's sort of in concert with the internet and access to information, uh, we've seen they, that the restaurant side has had a, a, a very steady growth. Up until recently, the, the supermarkets felt that that was a business they didn't really want to get into or understand, even though they, they thought there was a chance for higher profitability. So prepared foods were, were you know, sort of a, a toe in the water. And we saw Marks and Spencer's uh, sort of grow really quickly with their um, gastropub kind of uh, prepared foods. What's happened now is that the uh, many supermarkets, uh, especially here in the States, are preparing uh, not just ready to eat meals, uh, things that can go home and, and get cooked in the same package, but also actual finished restaurant-quality food, both from buffets and, and sit-down operations, and because they're, they're looking and saying, if if we can, if we can capture some of this business, we'll we'll in fact get people to buy more of our groceries and also uh, increase our top-line sales. Um, so what we're seeing is a sort of merge between the grocery and the restaurant, What we've we've heard now is called the grocerant, uh, where people go and. And almost like the traditional medieval center place market, where you can you can go and buy your fish and your meat and your breads, cheeses, but you can also uh, go there for a, a full meal. Uh, it's one stop shopping at its best, and it's been a, quite a challenge to the restaurant business um, uh, for convenience, for pricing, and also the concept that this is where fresh food is is in the grocery store. So if I'm if I know that I can see a really beautiful um, uh, arrangement of, of leaf greens and things. That the chances are that that's what's going to be in my salad if I if I eat here. So so companies like Wegmans and uh, Whole Foods have have uh, hired uh, traditional gastronomy-based culinarian chefs to do uh, in-house cooking of fresh prepared meals, uh, and customers are are going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sort of goes along with the Eatly concept. Uh, you know, when, when Farinetti came out of Italy with with these mix of, of a place you could go shopping but also could eat, now his um, uh, his giant FICO food world theme park in outside of Bologna, million square feet or 150,000 square meters of, of a mix of, of shopping and uh, retail outlets and 45 restaurants. Uh, that's probably taking it to, to the to the maximum.
0: And so we'll, this is definitely a trend that's that's going to continue. It's interesting. My uh, understanding of Wegmans, having uh, talked to some of the people who work there, is as a customer, you could go in and you're faced with the option of you have the restaurant where you can literally, as you say, sit in, dine and have your meal. There is the prepared meal, the ready meal, as we might describe it in the UK, that you can take home. But there's also like a third way where all of the ingredients are available in a box where you can literally take one of those ingredients home and make that meal for yourself. So you're providing that, it's totally fresh, you're cooking it, you can add your own little twist I get, I guess, but you have the three options, where as opposed to just it's a ready meal or there's a restaurant, you can actually do that for yourself at home.
1: Yes, and and actually one of the, one of the challenges for the supermarket business is the, uh, the rise of delivery services, just like we're seeing delivery services you know, affecting the restaurant business. And one of the reasons for this is um, an Amazon uh, Prime, let's say. It, why, people are starting to figure out that why should I go in, uh, to a supermarket and lug home uh, dried goods like paper towels or toilet paper? Or why should I go home and, uh, and go there and lug home a uh you know a a five pound jug of laundry detergent i can have amazon deliver that to my front door and then i'll go to the supermarket for things that i just need either today or are truly fresh vegetables meats fishes breads uh that i can carry home in one bag and so the supermarkets need to replace the revenue from those uh very low margin but high high weight you know high carry concept um and so they, they're looking and saying, yes, we can do these packaged meals. We can help you solve the issue of, of as a consumer, being short on time. Uh, we can be more affordable. And we can give you a gourmet meal that you can prepare at home uh, for yourself in seven or 10 steps in 20 to 30 minutes. It's a, it's a brand new um, way of, of talking to the consumer
0: and helping them solve their problems. Now, you've touched upon their technology and how that's impacting and the delivery models that we're seeing, home delivery in the UK, I know you're seeing in the US. Where Do you, do you think that has is anywhere near its peak yet? Or where do you think the, the brands such as Deliveroo and similar models of home delivery, where are they, where are they going?
1: Yeah, I, I, they have to continue to grow. Uh, here in the States, we, you know, uh, many people might know the name Panera. Uh, Panera is the largest um, uh, fast casual, third place, um, eat-in, bakery, cafe—they're—they're uh, they're now doing almost 30% of their entire sales uh, nationwide through online uh, pickup and delivery. So that this comes out to over 1.2 billion dollars in sales through the the use of mobile, uh, the mobile app, where people go order and then pick up the food and take it home themselves, or for delivery to the. Uh, to an office or to a home, uh, that uh, they predict that's going to continue to grow. Uh, we see it in pizza delivery. Domino's is doing almost 50% of its business is through uh, their apps, uh, and so that that technology piece, especially the mobile ordering, is is very powerful. When you see somebody like uh, or a company like Deliveroo, which is now creating uh, what we we have calling ghost restaurants, uh, you know they they not only are delivering but they're now providing space for some of their their prime um, clients, some of their best delivery places, to, to to identify where they should put a restaurant. They're taking space and, and creating these restaurants that have no restaurants, and they're just basically kitchens. What I find is fascinating about what Deliveroo's done is that they've created this space, they charge rent to the restaurants, they take a percentage of the, the menu price off the top, uh, and still have the, the co-branding. It's you're ordering Deliveroo, but I'm getting food from from the local, uh, you know, a local restaurant. But it's all on a Deliveroo site. It's basically uh, changing the entire nature of what it means to be a restaurant. I think that's going to grow as well. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, uh, restaurants that have no there there. Uh, they're just delivery-only kitchens. We're seeing seeing the same thing happen with restaurants that are taking spaces out of their own kitchens and creating um, uh, a delivery online mo- model uh, so that they're, they're, they can even change the name. Uh, what, one of the trends we're seeing is that uh, these, these kitchen-only places, <clears throat> excuse me, all you need to do is invest in a website uh, and you can actually run three or four kitchens or three or four restaurants out of one kitchen mm-hmm. with just a delivery. And so you can have uh, a, a group of people cooking and they can be doing Vietnamese food, they can be doing hamburgers, and they can be doing, um, uh, you know, uh, French food, all from the same kitchen, all the same people, but, but the, the online ordering uh, makes it appear as if they're three different restaurants. That's the real
0: true ghost restaurant, and I think that's a, a, big, a big trend that we're gonna have to watch. We uh, I was in a restaurant in the UK uh, called The Big Easy only about three weeks ago, and I just can't remember now, I just got out of my head the name of the app, but there was the option to pay the bill via the app, and I think there's even the option to order food via the app while you're in the restaurant. Um, that is obviously one aspect of how the in-store experience is changing, because you've obviously touched upon how home delivery is being affected. What else? Are you seeing anything else in restaurant where people is, are using technology that's revolutionizing the experience?
1: Yeah, well, it's not not new, but the open table experience uh, here in the States and and now Yelp is uh, really expanding its SeatMe. Uh, what we're starting to see is is not just making reservations online, but uh, but using that to to book uh, tables, to order in advance, um, uh, to do a, a lot more communication between us and the customer. Uh, so the uh, the open table kind of platform, uh, the, the third party aggregators are really also changing the relationship, and they're changing it in the restaurants as well. Um, one of the things that uh, I think you're also going to start to see is is a lot more pre-ordering, uh, people ordering their menu, their meals from home, uh, so that when they get to the restaurant, the meal is already waiting for them, uh, to, to speed up the service time, uh, have less communication with with service people, <clears throat> and that allows them to have, um, uh, you know, a complete control over their uh, of the menu choices but also just to go right from home, book a point, you know, 8.15, we arrive with our party of four, the mail is already ordered, we sit down, it's served and we're we're done, we leave, and it's all, there's no payment, uh, uh, no cashing out, it's all done on, uh, through a
0: a prepaid uh, Apple Pay or Google Wallet system. If we've got listeners to the episode who might be considering opening a restaurant, um what do you think they should consider some of the key elements to make sure their restaurant concept is going to be a success for example you've mentioned the importance of home delivery thinking about how you would manage that in your restaurant from a kitchen perspective is that something that you know no one would open a restaurant in the u.s now that wouldn't have an option for home delivery are there other things that you think you must consider if you're looking to open a restaurant concept
1: yeah i actually i gave a a talk in um uh, and Hamburg back in 2000 and at the time I said that the the nature of restaurant management and, and the organizational structure was going to change that no restaurant within within a decade which would have been 2010 can survive without an a, the addition of an, a social media manager someone doing nothing but managing the external communications in those days it was uh, we were just talk about email most restaurants in 2000 had not gotten into the website uh, business today, with between social media of, of uh, the rating systems like Yelp and TripAdvisor, the, the feedback that you get. Um, uh, I, I can use an example from, from yesterday. I have uh, one of my daughters is a manager in a very nice restaurant in in New York City. Um, she had a, cus- a a group of customers, complain to the waitress while they were in the restaurant about uh, the cook. One of their hamburgers wasn't cooked correctly. And while they tried to, to deal with it while they were there, the, the, uh, one of the people at the party actually wrote a bad Yelp review while they were getting in the Uber after they left. Uh, mm-hmm. She tried to catch them before they restu- left the restaurant, but the timing is such that they actually saw the review the restaurant did and brought it to her attention to try to catch the, re- the customer before they had left. That kind of instantaneous uh, connection to the online social media uh, is incredibly important. Um, the other piece that I think you have to have someone who's um, constantly watching uh, for, um, <coughs> excuse me, integ- Instagram and uh, all of the, uh, the the photo posts, uh, Snapchats, and those kinds of things to, that. Um, to watch how all of your, your food, your, your core package, your signage have to be Instagrammable or photo ready. Because uh, the, the, what we used to think of as word of mouth has now become uh, word of media. And if you're not being uh, the kind of place where uh, every dish and every person who comes into the restaurant is taking, taking a picture and a pose uh, in your space, uh, you're going to be left behind. So you have to have an entirely New look at the decor package and make sure that the lighting, uh, there is a place to, to, to pose food and also a place for people to pose outside your restaurant.
0: That's fascinating. That, the idea of word of mouth is almost being supplanted by word of social media. Um, yeah. You're absolutely right. I, I remember only a couple of years ago with Eucharist, we were in the US and one of the things we noticed was people from the UK were within seconds going to a restaurant needing to know what the Wi-Fi code was. And we're obviously, posting pictures of their food both to social media um, but also sending messages back to loved ones at home saying, you know, what am I, where am I, what am I doing, etc. And that was two years ago, so it really has ex- exploded, sorry, uh, since then. So, what you're saying is, I'm opening a new restaurant, I need to consider. Uh, the delivery option. How am I going to manage that channel? I need to really make sure I've got someone who's going to manage my online social media, not just from a promotion and marketing point of view, but the use of apps such as Instagram, Snapchat, being photo ready to use your term and to make sure that word of media is is ready and we're thinking about lighting and ambience. Anything else that we should be considering as a new or someone opening a new concept? Well,
1: I think it, uh, the other side is the, the traditional just on the food menu side. Uh, we have to be um, uh, concerned with uh, truth and menu and labeling. We have to be able to give people uh, a, a rundown on not just food allergens but but salt content, sugar content, fat content, gluten content, lactose uh, content every every thing is. Um, uh, there's 29 major food things that can be listed on the menu. It's you know, uh, all of those things have to be dealt with. We we basically uh, have to have a nutritionist uh, and um, health per, uh, person on call uh, to review every time we change a menu item. And so that uh, that entire piece is also changed. And, and so um, uh, we have we have another position in the restaurant that is someone who's who's uh, very I'm much aware of the the nutrition
0: side. Yeah, and one of the things that we, we've got legislation as you're aware in the UK around allergens that came in, I think last year, rightly, it's that knowledge, the staff knowledge, and the ability to uh, share that, and, and almost a desire to want to share it, to, to shout about the quality of the ingredients, uh, whether something is gluten free, whatever it may be, but to be actually be proactively communicating it rather than waiting for the question and then going, oh, I don't know, let me let me get some information or let me go and ask mm-hmm. someone else. I think there's going to be a big training piece here. Yeah, and actually it's a funny part because it's a paradox. Here's, here I just talked about
1: people wanting to, to pre-order, go right into the restaurant, sit down and eat, and have as little interaction as possible with the service staff. And then on the other side, you get that people want to go in and be absolutely uh, wowed by the, the specific knowledge and the authenticity of the person serving them. Uh, restaurants have to be both of those things at the exact same time. Yeah. So the training and development uh, the professionalism of the staff uh, really, truly has to, has to be um, be dealt with. Uh, one of our uh, good friends here is a major um, uh, executive search and training development group is Alice Elliott. And, and they simply call, say that the, the biggest factor for restaurants is human capital. Uh, you can raise plenty of money to build restaurants, but you really have to invest in the human,
0: the human capital, the staff, and the management, because that's the future of the business. It was fascinating at your presentation last year. You had the uh, Andres from Sticks and Sushi, the MD. And um, one of the yes. things that really stuck in my mind was his, his maybe slightly um, sarcastic comment. But he was talking about, um, I don't spend money on marketing. I put my marketing budget into training because it, my people are my marketing force. If you like, They're, the experience mm-hmm. they give is what will drive uh, new customers' footfall, etc. Not some great promotional picture or uh, campaign.
1: And it's also, it's part of this idea that we've always talked about the restaurant as being more than food uh, and, and now you know, more than service. What we're doing is we're managing an experience, and part of that experience is a trained wait staff that needs to know both when they should inject themselves and when they should not. But when they do inject themselves into the conversation, they better be as uh, encyclopedic in their knowledge because the consumer can do that with a quick Google search.
0: Yeah, and it's no longer just about knowing what the specials are today. It's yeah. about, as you say, nutrition and info, being able to make recommendations based on what the customer wants. Certainly, customization at, at all levels is becoming, um, and personalization, I suppose, is becoming critical in the UK in brands. And people want to have it their way, don't they? To to coin a phrase. Yeah, actually, uh,
1: I just spoke about this in a class this morning. Uh, it's estimated that somewhere between 85 and 90 percent of every meal served in any kind of restaurant from McDonald's all the way to To the finest uh, fine dining French restaurant and 85 to 90 percent of every dish is customized to the the consumers um, uh, Specifications whether it's as simple as could you put the salad dressing on the side to I, I can't have onions. I only want onions. I, you know this everything about it is customized now uh, so Uh, The kitchen also has to be trained differently. They have to be able to to adapt to every kind of possible combination Um, And I tell a story. It's a sort of digression, but We have a nice little Irish pub uh, in my neighborhood called O'Leary's and they've been there for 20 something years 25 years They put a uh, they have a standard menu We go there for burgers and they also put an insert they serve everything from Irish stew But they also every day have a burger so we were there with some friends, and it was the Tuesday burger. And the Tuesday burger, the chef had said, okay, today it's a sesame seed bun, provolone cheese, sauteed mushrooms on a on a, a quarter pound cheeseburger. And mm-hmm. the woman we were with, one of our friends, said, oh, man, look at that Tuesday burger. It sounds great. Wait, waiter comes over. She says, I'm going to have the Tuesday burger, but could you, could you ask the chef, can I substitute the provolone for I'd like to have cheddar instead? And instead of sauteed mushrooms, I'd really like to have... Uh, sauteed onions, and can you hold the bun because I just like I just like the meat, and put the, put some salad dressing on the lettuce and tomato for me. And the waiter said, "Of course." And I looked at her and said, "Vanessa, what happened to the Tuesday burger? That's you just made a Vanessa burger. Why did you think Tuesday burger sounded great? It, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. That's what restaurants have to deal with today."
0: Now, of course, Chris, our focus in multi-site masters is multi-site and the multi-site manager is always very prevalent in our mind. What do you think the effective multi unit manager is going to need to do to adapt to the kind of changing environment that you've described? How are the new skill sets they need to learn? What do they need to be successful in the future?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, we've written about this. Uh, in fact, we've done some of this together. But um I, I think the the idea of, of the multi-site manager is uh, needs to be looked at as as the the combination uh, chief executive uh, and um, uh, almost like the C-suite for their for their district. So they need to be the uh, the chief executive officer, but they also need to be the chief marketing officer, the chief finance officer, the chief human resource and training and development officer. Uh, they need to be able to to have a uh, a skill set that's much more complex than it than it has been at any time in the in the past, and I think one of the one of the key pieces of this is knowing that uh, if we believe that it's all about human capital, then the multi-site managers got to spend most of their time developing the people who work in their in their district or their area, uh, especially the young up-and-coming uh, junior managers, the assistant managers, who are the ones that are going to going to be groomed for leadership in the future. Uh, they also have to be combing uh, all of the hourly and and uh, service and kitchen staff for people who who shine and look like they can take over leadership roles going into the future. And they basically have to uh, trumpet the, the the benefits of of going into uh, into professional management as a career, uh, and then give them the skills that that are going to allow them to. Um, to shine when they do that. So I think it's it's really crucial, uh, more than ever, that the, the multi-site, multi-enter manager is, is uh, has the skill sets of run, running the operation, but truly starts to understand that it's all about the people.
0: I think that's a perfect place for us to pause our, well, bring our conversation to an increase. I really appreciate, particularly uh, your, your, your croaky voice has done a, a fantastic job <laughs> <building up>. um, <laughs> One question I always throw at people at the last minute. Um, I do, I'm do. i a great believer, as you know, in science fiction. So I think one day, in many years to come, time travel will be available. I wonder what Chris Muller would go back and say to a young Chris Muller. What what piece of advice would you give to someone starting out yourself in this industry? Uh, I, I've actually said this to myself. I wish I had had
1: this, the foresight to when I was waiting tables and at and, and a time when when there was a lot more cash on the table, I wish I had taken a lot more of that cash and invested it in in real estate and other business opportunities because I would have retired about twenty years ago uh be you know take the, take the business and and learn that this is a, a fabulous business to to uh, increase uh not only your knowledge but also uh, a chance to to use this to build a, a really great life and I wish i had um,
0: had saved more and squandered less. So save those tips and invest them in property or the stock market and that kind of thing. Or
1: or, or starting your own concept.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, We should probably put a disclaimer in at this moment that uh, we're not giving financial advice at this point. But uh... (laughs) no. Thank you, Chris. As ever, uh, we'll put your contact details, if we may, in terms of your Twitter handle, uh, your leader of managers website into our show uh, show notes even. So any listener who wants to uh, keep following you or contact you can do so. But lastly, Chris, thank you again for taking part and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. Always a
1: pleasure. Thanks, Lee.
0: Thank you. So once again a great great conversation there with Chris. I think for me there was many many takeaways but two that I would really pull out was Chris's focus on the importance of obviously social media and the idea of restaurants being photo ready in terms of the environment, in terms of excellent Wi-Fi, in terms of food that looks photo ready phrase he used the word of mouth has effectively been replaced by word of media Um, truth labeling I think he'd have referred to it as uh, critical for restaurants to really give all the information not just around allergens but understanding why something's good for you nutritional information etc and I suppose going back full circle human capital Uh, Nothing new there, but just once again, even with the rush towards technology, with apps for ordering and for payment, the importance of trained staff who understand when to intervene, when not to intervene, who are fully briefed on the menu to make recommendations and are doing so out of a genuine desire to make the guest experience even better. Thank you, Chris, again. You'll find his show note details for contacting Chris on the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Multisite Masters. Thank you again to Sam Walsh, our producer, and we look forward to uh, speaking with you soon. Take care, everyone.